it gives an opportunity for us to kind of break down those stereotypes. Uh, so at first, when they walk in, they're wearing that uniform. There are some of them. And, and the first thing we do is get to know their names. And then we start to talk about issues. Then we start to talk about the things that the young people are interested in. And all of a sudden, what we realize, and this is, this is a, a, I was going to say, a class, a cracker, a weaker, as we say here, <laughs> observation at first, the realization, see demons? they actually don't all think the same thing. <laughs> actually, there's as much diversity of opinion with them as there is with us. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button, and enjoy the listen. Hi everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography, and actually from this person's bio, let's start with, it's a source of constant amusement to him about how much people from England seem to find his mellifluous Ulster brogue somewhat charming. Alistair Hamill and his dulcet tones. Welcome. Well, kids, thank you so much for that lovely welcome. And here we go. The first Ulster accent, I believe, on coffee and geography. So I have to start off by saying, what about you? How's it going? (laughs) It is going very, very well. And uh, Alistair is a very good friend of mine. And actually, let's see, we're looking at time. It's 40 minutes since we dialed in. <laughs> We've actually started recording. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, uh, we, uh, we, when we get chatting, we do get chatting. Yeah. And, uh, right. So, Alistair is an unashamed optimist who, even after three decades in the classroom, mm-hmm. has not become cynical and has no intention of doing so now. He loves geography as much as ever, loves teaching it, loves thinking about the art and craft of pedagogy. And if described in three letters, as you say, not three words, it must be. GIS. GIS, yeah. And he is an advocate of how we can use modern digital geographies to help explore the majesty of the world around us and the serious of the global challenges we face. And trust me, guys, there's going to be a bit of discussion about that, and I'm really looking forward to it. Alistair is deeply committed to peace and reconciliation work in Northern Ireland through the Shared Education Programme. And outside of work, he is an avid landscape photographer trying to capture the glorious beauty of his homeland, especially the Giant's Causeway, where he must have some form of squatter's rights by now. <laughs> yeah, I've that sums you up yes, to a yeah. I've, I've kind of, I think I'm a, probably have individually named all of the 30,000 columns of the Dance Causeway. I can just see that happening, actually. You know, I'm, you're going to take me there one day, Alistair, because you are going to take me there one day, and you'll be like, and that one is... <laughs> see that one you're sitting on there? That was the first one I actually named, Kit. Uh, no it's um uh, i don't i don't know how i've not managed it but i have still not visited northern ireland and definitely therefore not visit the giant's causeway either so that's got to be rectified goodness my goodness well um you do have a significant birthday coming up soon don't you so you definitely need to you definitely need to yeah, get get on over here. Um, it was amazing actually over the the last couple of years the number of staycations of of people from England coming over that that I met, um, mm. and it's just it's lovely. See see right at the end of the days in in July and August when the sun sets really really far around to the northwest, 
which basically means you can be sitting at the causeway watching the sun sink down into the sea and almost feels ah. like it should sizzle as it's sitting there. You, you feel literally the warmth of the sunlight on the stones and as it as it just radiates out after the sun has set. And there, there are moments there that are just some of the most calm, serene moments of my life. And it, even when there are people that are sitting there, you just you just see in a sense people just realize at that moment you've got to slow down and really mm. be richly in this moment and just drink in everything. Now, for most of the people that are, are visitors, this is maybe the one time in their life. Fortunately for me, I just go back over <laughs> and over again. And I never tire of it. There's something very magical about that place. So to what extent then, Alistair, would you say that the Giant's Causeway is 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 therapy for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say very much so. But I'll tell you a little story about the very first time that I went out after the first lockdown. I think back to those like two years ago now, roughly. Wow, well, yeah. it is, isn't it? It's two years. The, the week that we record. Crazy. This is St. Patrick's week. So this was the last normal week of school, uh, two True. years ago. Yep. Um, and then we went into that bizarre, surreal lockdown where... Yeah, I had just come back from San Francisco visiting <laughs> oh, friends really? and family in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that, um, whenever it finished around about the middle of May, when we were allowed to travel a little bit further, um, I the very first place that I felt that I had to go, it was a Wednesday evening. Um, I had to drive, and I live about an hour away from Jan's Causeway, so I had to drive up to it and uh, parked at the car park. And if you've ever been there, anybody that's been there, you know there's about a mile's walk down towards it, and you walk through one bay, you come around the headland, and there's the bay of the Jan's Causeway opens up in front of you. And just as I was walking down that moment, it was this bizarre feeling of, you know, coming back home, but yet, in in a sense, being set free and coming back to somewhere that hadn't been in such a long time. Mm. And when I arrived down, I saw something then that I've never seen before and I never will see again. Um, and that's because it's the season around about then of sea pinks, these beautiful, vivid pink flowers that grow all along the Causeway Coast at this time of year, mostly in cliff, cliff top spots. But they're fragile. Um, they're the kind of things that if you trample on them, <laughs> they will oh. die back very, very quickly. So they grow in places where people don't frequent. So they, they reward the explorer, the person that's prepared to go just to those slightly r roads that S travels, so to speak. But of course, after having whatever it was, two and a half months of lockdown, there had been no one at the Giants Causeway. And it almost was as if, as if nature in the midst of all of this chaos that was going on was blossoming out to provide this wonderful gift for us when we came back and i walked down with a wow. photography friend of mine and there were only two of us there and we got oh my god the most perfect glorious sunset conditions and all of those things that just described but for though that one time that one moment all these beautiful little sea pinks and you know what i went back about 10 days later and they'd already begun to die because they're very oh. short-lived yeah, so it was yeah. one of those moments in time. So I got these photographs there that just featured that place that I knew so well with this kind of, I don't know, really profound metaphorical sense of rebirth, a sense of, right, we're, we're coming out of this and with all of the adversity and difficulty. And of course, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> we're plenty more of that in the, in the years that have gone by. And even right now, mm. you know, these metaphorical things, these signs of beauty, these signs of, uh, right in the midst of these difficult times and locations, still beauty can grow. And I think these are important lessons to hold on to. So, yeah, I kind of find myself there, I guess. 
that's what a wonderful, wonderful story. I, I, yeah, I mean, if there's, we all try and search for positives and silver linings out of tragedies, out of, you know, bad periods. And, you know, and we know that the coronavirus pandemic has been, you know, devastating for uh, too many people. But it really can help you to appreciate life and, and all the beauty that is within it and how fleeting it is mm. so for me like that story what what an absolute kind of microcosm of of, of the beauty but fra- fragility of life mm. you know and that's thank you for sharing that that's that's amazing and the, the only um kind of the only way i can, can come even close to that is probably um going to the Yorkshire Dales, which I used to frequent with on a school trip. And of course, in the Yorkshire Dales, you've got the very, very famous Malham Cove and you've got the limestone pavement on the top of the Malham Cove, which gets, you know, and all the the clints and grikes, you know, all the clints are all rounded and smooth because of all the trampling and everything like that. And, and there's litter dropped in the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a spectacular landscape. Great. But but I used to take the kids off the beaten track a little bit and kind of to go in a different way back to Malham Tarn Field Centre. And when you get to the limestone pavement, which is not a honeypot, then it's such a different landscape. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's so much beauty and it's so much more richer, it's more vibrant. And uh, you can understand why 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 um places like that have honeypotting techniques, which uh, for the uninitiated is when you is 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 a location or a place or an attraction which gathers people in one spot and you can either have that accidentally or you can have that deliberately and sometimes honeypotting can be ta- you know a tactic to try and keep other places pristine yes. but um yeah so uh, that's that's what i can come close to well um okay so imagine you're going to the giant's causeway then which i know is your f- favorite place in the world and you've got a your flask you can see where i'm doing i'm trying to do a, a perfect segue here and you have your your flask with you and you've in there. You've got your your favourite hot brew. So, uh, <laughs> so what would you be drinking? Okay. Well, well, you do know that to get to the Giants Causeway, you have to drive through Bush Mills kits, do you? Right. So it, it, it depends on whether or not you'll allow me an alcoholic beverage in this little <laughs> well, I could. hypothetical frask. <laughs> okay, Only if well, I'm driving. Perfect, perfect segue to what am I drinking right now? What is in my coffee cup? Well, I am. I'm. I'm sorry to say I'm a bit of a coffee snob, right? So I know <laughs> you've had snob. folks on here that are, you know, I'll, I'll just take whatever. I'm, I'm sorry. I am the kind of person that, that if you invite me to your house, I will probably inquire as to the nature of the coffee that you're going to offer <laughs> okay. me before I'll decide. And if I don't like it, I'll go for a cup of tea. <laughs> um, but part of the problem was that I was drinking far, far too much coffee. And I think especially with all the working from home and you go and make yourself a nice coffee and um, then you can have too many espressos in one day and the shakes happen. <laughs> yeah. During lockdown, I discovered the joy of the coffee bag. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, a coffee bag is basically a bag of coffee, which sounds like a remarkably obvious thing to say. So it's a tea bag with coffee in it. But the one that I'm drinking at the moment is an Aranatan coffee. So it's a Smatran Dark Forest coffee bag. And I'm reading the um, the notes that are saying here, these um, drink coffee, save orangutans. These magnificent creatures are critically endangered. This is why our coffee farmers receive incentives to, pro- to protect the orangutans' rainforest habitat. Uh, every cup counts. So it nice. describes this as a rich and full-bodied roast 
with deep flavours of dark chocolate and morello chili. Cherry, not jelly. <laughs> morello jelly. Morello cherry. It probably does exist. Um, I mean, yet last 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 week we spoke to an ex student of mine who had drunk uh, strawberry and pancake tea. So you know, it oh, may be. Well, it could be possible. Know, know. You never know. <laughs> So what yeah. I what I do if I don't take milk in my coffee, so I just pop the bag in the coffee and I can go and refill it with hot water. So my theory is, I'm not entirely sure how scientific this is, <laughs> but if I'm only using about three bags in a day and I'm refilling, I can drink a lot of coffee without having too much caffeine. Okay. So that that's the story I've told myself. And if I'm wrong, <laughs> let me live in my happy little bubble. Kind of like coffee gaslighting yourself <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay right no i mean i i'm um i i do try and get as many cups of tea out of the same tea bag as i possibly can before it effectively becomes water and milk you know um so uh i, I try and do make it last um yeah i mean if i mean Alistair, you have an open invitation to come visit me always of course we have we do have coffee beans and we have a coffee grinder so you know we, we give you a decent decent uh, cup of t- coffee no problem but uh but yeah you might have to uh, bring that bring that one with you just just, just for me to have a have a, have a go at. Absolutely. i'm not a coffee drinker cool thank you for that one and um good and everybody we know we're trying to search for a very sustainable um drink so in that respect so that one definitely sounds worth looking up sumatra and dark forest you orangutan coffee bags nice right yeah. alistair so i know that this is going to be such an interesting and insightful uh, part because usually it's usually this is quite a I wouldn't say a, a short part of every podcast episode but usually it's it's just to just to get to know the person a little bit more in the introduction before we go off and we talk about other things but I know that this is going to be a very deep and enriching discussion and that is your your sense of place your 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 identity you know um being from the part of the world that you are so you are currently located in Lurgan in Northern Ireland, which is, which would I say, is it pretty much halfway between Belfast and the border with the Republic of Ireland? I yeah, so right? well, I, I teach in Lurgan. So Lurgan is pretty much just due south of Loch Ness. So if you can picture right. Northern Ireland on the map, that big body of water in the middle, just to the south of that is Loch, is Lurgan, Loch Ness, yeah. Um, in the county of Armagh. Uh, but I live in the county of Antrim and Ballyclare. It's a oh. county Antrim boy born and bred. And nice. as, I, uh, as I often like to say, given my love of tectonics, I live in a county where the floor is quite literally lava. Yes. Uh, massive big Antrim plateau made of all these wonderful basalts, which of course gives us the chance causeway. So for a geology geek like myself, Kit, I live in the perfect county. Wonderful. So then what you've talked about the giant's causeway and mm. the fact that as a geographer you're in a perfect place but in terms of you and your personality and your sense of identity what is it about this part of of the world um and the area that you live in which really does speak to you and i want you to want to come back actually let's let's circle back to my kind of the 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 first bit of the podcast that right at the top when i mentioned about your accent because yeah. um one thing when when I grew up, for example, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, um, part of the, the times, you know, when there was, when we, which we call the Troubles, of course. My godfather was, was Irish. She was called uh, Peggy, um, and she was my grandfather on my 
mum's side best friend who lived just a couple of doors down and she was and she was the main experience i had of someone who was irish um she was a beautiful woman inside and out she was the age of my grand my grandparents i you know her voice was so musical she was stern but kind you know you felt safe with her but you would never ever muck about with her so when and we used to call her aunt peggy so whenever whenever we used to say we go and used to visit my my granddad um we always used to say can we go see aunt peggy can we go see aunt peggy you know um so that was my experience of of irishness growing up so for me it was a very very positive experience um but you talked to me before we started recording of course about how you know that may be the case maybe now or for people with with certain specific experiences, but maybe it's not always been the case. So yeah, do take us through that. Yeah. Uh, so I did. Uh, it's, it's interesting for to hear the, the bio that I wrote because months and months since I wrote it, so I couldn't remember what it rendered. <laughs> it did yeah. make reference to the accent. And uh, I, of course, I'm as I'm speaking now, I'm speaking into this lovely little mic that I gifted myself early during the first lockdown whenever I, I had a, a podcast that was nowhere near as long lived as yours. It made the glorious <laughs> total of two episodes <laughs> and then life took over. But I, I just thought I'd treat myself to a podcaster's mic and I, I have discovered something of the joys of leaning in close to the mic yes. and dropping the voice. Yeah. And uh, you, you, you'll know all the little tricks and tips. <laughs> and, and as I started to record that, record in the morning before the rest of the family would come up, so I had to speak quietly and into the mic I would speak. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, I discovered something that shocked me is that, that, that people from all across the world, not from here, were going, oh, I love your accent. <laughs> your accent's really nice. Um, in fact, uh, one guy who um, is English but lives in France described it, and I had to look this up, as mellifluous. Mellifluous, yeah. Yes, which means, uh, and I didn't know that at the time, pleasingly melodic, uh, which was quite a shock to me because my experience of growing up uh, obviously, I'm a child of the 70s, teenager of the 80s. Um, I started to travel by myself in England in the 90s, really, in, in many ways. So all of that time, we're still in the Troubles. For those that don't mm. know, the Troubles in Northern Ireland started in 1969, um, pretty much the time that I was born. That's <laughs> a pure coincidence, I can say. Um, and the, without going into all the details of how and why it happened, we had 30 years of pretty serious terrorist violence of in the early 70s of scenes of street violence, of um, anarchy, of people shooting at each other with guns, with security forces, you know, not really in this, on, on the scene and people being burned out of their homes. You know, t- really, really difficult times and bombs that were going off that were not at all any kind of warning given. Um, 1972, for instance, my mum, uh, was in Belfast shopping one day. Uh, this was about three weeks after my brothers were born, and mm-hmm. uh, I have my brothers are twins. Uh, so she'd been in shopping uh, in Belfast and had been doing just a little bit of uh, alone time for her with a young family at home. Uh, I'd finished the shopping, went to go into a coffee shop for a coffee before she came home, had her hand in the door, uh, and then thought of my poor dad looking after me. He was at three at the time, and my two you know, one-month-old twin brothers and decided that she really should go home. 50 metres down the road, an unannounced bomb went off in the coffee shop she'd just been about to go into. 
uh, two people, two people killed, many people very, very badly maimed by the whole thing. Wow. And th- this, this is the reality of what I was growing up in. And and I suppose for those living outside of Northern Ireland and those in England, of course, the the troubles spilt over into England and in, in tragedies at, at times as well. So this wasn't something that was confined to us, but it was something that was our daily experience. And I suppose at that time, whenever you heard an accent like this in the news, whenever I was growing up. I would hear what to me were all these calm, rational, <laughs> sensible English accents talking about normal things. And then mm. you would get a Northern Irish politician coming on who tended just to be ranting about something or other. We always sounded so angry. <laughs> um, and, and I just felt so, so aware of my accent. So in the 90s, before peace, I'm here, the Good Friday Agreement was signed in 1998, Whenever I started really to travel over to England um, as a student and then in my 20s, I traveled over with an accent that had a particular association then that made me extremely aware of this. Now, you've heard me try to do accents before, Kit. I am <laughs> dreadful at them. So I, I, I can honestly say that I attempted to hide my accent. I probably failed miserably. Um, because I, yeah, if if you try to embarrass me by getting me to try an English accent right now, I, I can do an, ex, ex, an attempt in an extremely harsh one, but even that <laughs> probably sounds completely no I, I, won't, I won't force you, Alistair. I won't force you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, those kinds of experiences that, in many ways, the the land that I grew up in, which was home, and it, it's the funniest thing, Kits, because you know we're we're recording this at a time whenever. You know, I think I heard today that something in around about two and a half million Ukrainians have oh, left yes. Ukraine at the moment. And, you know, most yeah. of them have gone to Poland because, of course, most of them will want to go back because they're leaving what to us looks like a war zone, but they're leaving what to them is home. You know, so this country that for me was right. home, despite all of the violence, despite the fact that um, we had security gates everywhere in Belfast and you had to have your bags checked for bombs going into Marks and Spencers, all sort of things like that. It's home. But yet other people's perception of home for me was was very, very different. Um, so that's that's really, in a sense, in many ways, as I first started to interact with people outside of Northern Ireland, a feeling of I want to try and hide a little bit. I want to try and disguise mm. who I am because I... I I kind of feel not embarrassed because it wasn't my fault, but certainly self-conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, as I I said, as I said, that was really, I knew this was going to be insightful for someone who had nothing but a positive. I mean, it was so close to home, but of course I remember hearing about it on the news time and time and time again, but I had, I had such a disconnect from it because I was, you know, I was far from the troubles myself. I was growing up in a new town in Essex, just out of London. So, you know, I was not near anywhere where there could have been any, you know, retaliatory strikes or anything like that. And as I already mentioned, my only experience of people with accents similar to yours was deeply positive. So it felt... It felt such, yeah. It felt like another world to me, like yeah, almost like yeah. a, uh, you know, a, a Shakespearean tragedy, really. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it's only like you know, listening to people like yourself and and uh, my my ex geography teacher, who um, Mr. Somerville, Dave Somerville, who is an Ulsterman himself. So he's the other 
positive experience you know that i had and then he used to he had quite a, a um a good a good sense of a positive sense of humor shall we say and yeah, yeah. and i'm and i'm thinking that as a as a t- so when i was in high school so I'm, I'm just thinking about this now on the fly alistair that as a high school student that would have been at the exact same times when these troubles were coming to a head mm-hmm. leading up to when the good friday agreement was being signed because in 1998 i was one of his gcse students mm-hmm. doing geography so but i just did not make that connection just did not make that connection so and it yeah. just goes to show how easy it is to be disconnected from these kind of things and and even though you you mentioned the current situation in ukraine um i'm i feel deeply conflicted and deeply uh, frustrated by the situation not because Obviously, it's it's tragic, it's devastating, and I, I my heartfelt sympathies are going out to those people being impacted in Ukraine. But on the other side, I kept thinking, what about people from Afghanistan? We've forgotten about them. What about the other um, atrocities that are taking place, which are causing people to flee their homes, which have been going on for decades, and we are not doing anything about it? Syria, we've completely forgotten about, so it seems as a society. And that just fills me with so much frustration and so much anger that even in the age of social media, when this kind of stuff can be consistently out there and consistently like reminded of, there's a, there's still a disconnect. Even yeah, yeah. the internet and globalization and social media, is it's, it makes it even more ephemeral and almost a kind of morbid entertainment in a way. And yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was just a complete... Off the head, off the top of the head, kind of yeah, thought I just yeah. had there. It is. I mean, it's something that I've I've thought a lot about because, and I mean, no, this is not a politics podcast, so you know, I'll definitely not get into a huge amount of politics in, in hmm. this. But um, you know, the whole notion of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, um, yeah. <laughs> and okay, we're separated by the Irish Sea, but sometimes it seems like we're separated by some deep cultural lack of understanding and I look I can totally mm. I can totally appreciate it while at the same time um you, you you kind of react to it um at the same time I can totally feel it and and what you've just outlined in terms of how we react and and the the groups that we feel greater empathy with um is a, there's a fascinating insight for us i think if we reflect on what it is that creates our group identity i one of the topics i teach in a level geography is a topic on ethnic diversity i get a, mm. to spend a term with upper six looking at this whole topic of how we identify based on um well it, it comes really more from sociology and social psychology so ethnicity is a shared group identity creating sense of solidarity and difference based on race nationality language and religion so it's not just race is bigger than that but we look at this thing called social identity theory um, which explains and helps us to understand why it is that we tend to almost by default group into groups of people that we see as like ourselves because the first stage in social identity theory says the first step is identification um or sorry sorry classification Classification. when we classify Mm -hmm. based on what we observe and because our classification tends to be you're more like me or you're less like me 
and then the second stage is identification. Um, and I, I think yeah. actually there's something really profound and powerful in helping our students to understand it. I'm not a psychology teacher, but I get to pretend when I'm doing this and teach a little bit of this. Because I often say that um, the importance of education and breaking down barriers of prejudice and misunderstanding. Yes, but I think you need to define carefully what you mean by education. If you're just informing people of historical events, so the whole decon decolonization uh, movement, for example. Um, yes, you have to inform the young people here in the UK of the colonial past of the UK. Absolutely, you do. That in and of itself, I don't think is is always going to be sufficient to break down barriers of misunderstanding because there's this huge big psychological element as well. And I think what we need to do is inform um, people in general. And as a teacher and educator, I get an opportunity to do that, of helping them to understand why we join the groups that we join. Yeah. And as I'm doing this, one of the things that obviously this has got big connections with, with the context of Northern Ireland and the Protestant Catholic Nationalist Unionist thing. Um, but I look at places all across the world. And what I found is very interesting is that if you go to a context that's different, that's not our own, and show them what's going on, show them the um, in-group, out-group, or as we like to say here in Northern Ireland, the usons and the nemons. Yep. Um, because they're that one step removed from it, they, they can kind of analyze in a slightly more dispassionate basis and understand it. So it would lead them down there, boom, 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 right? Okay, 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 this, right. Oh. And then flip it around all of a sudden, right? Let's bring this back home. Do those same principles that you've just said there apply here? Oh, no, yep. I'm not so sure. Oh, really? Why? Well, it's different. Well, why is it different? Well, because it is. <laughs> and what, yeah. what you're really trying to do in that moment is use that empathy um, combined with the understanding to bring them together in a synergy that gets them to reflect better. Um, and I think, you know, if you're looking at the context of the relationship between England and Northern Ireland and you know, you kind of get used here to people in England not really understanding, which I don't blame you because I've lived here my entire life and I don't really understand it fully. It's complicated. <laughs> right. um, you know, but and you, then you look at what you're saying about how we, when we look at the conflicts around the world, why is it that certain conflicts seem to attract our attention more than others? For us to understand a little bit of the psychology of what's going on behind that, for that to be elucidated and illuminated, combined with the empathy i think that's where you have if you have a chance of social transformation i, I think that's probably where it lies and i think if anybody's thinking about maybe a, a possible counter argument to that is as i would say this we have had in our school system it is compulsory to learn about the atrocities of the second world war of the holocaust you know and and learn about all those messages from then but quite clearly you know, arguably, we are entering another cycle, another period of fascism. So clearly, learning about fascism in the past and what it's led to and the and the atrocities that came from it is simply not enough, as as you we just learned to. So because we can learn about these until the cow comes home, but until we actually get what you've just been mentioning about the cycle behind it we're not going to move forward and um, the second thing I, that I thought about as you were speaking was I am such a I'm such a person who who is very empathetic to 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 a fault where I can actually kind of really get quite upset about about things yeah. and so when I 
so I will always be someone who says, yeah, well, what about these people? What about these people? To me, I don't understand why, you know, because you were saying English in Northern Ireland, you know, for me, it doesn't make any difference who, where we are, who we're from. But then that's a, f- I wouldn't say it's a flaw. I, I, it's a character trait of mine. I would never give up because, because mm. I will treat human being for a human being's sake, yeah. uh, you know, judge a person by the character, not by the content of the, you know, of, of the color yeah. of the skin or that kind of stuff. Um, but the flaw in that, part of me is i find it difficult therefore to cotton on why these conflicts exist Mm. and therefore it is a challenge for me to think about what the potential solution should be because it's not that i don't see the problem of course i see the problem i just can't see why there's a problem (laughs) and i'm like why are we not just all getting along (laughs) kind of thing so um so i think it's an absolute um you know yeah i totally 100% agree with you to kind of which is i i when when psychology first came out as a gcc and stuff like that i smirked a little bit i admit not not because i was like you know of oh, geography is obviously going to do all that kind of stuff but because it's like yeah this is a bit of a, a bit of something which you can you don't necessarily have to do at gcc can you can do it at degree level do a level that kind of stuff but actually the more i've spoken to people about it you know like you know your daughter does psychology and the way that people have now bringing that kind of into kind of more history more geography and that kind of stuff i was like it's actually very very necessary very necessary yeah, yeah. you see I, I think one of the things that i observe and you can correct me if i've picked this up wrong kit i, I spend a lot of time on twitter i interact with a lot of english educators on twitter and the more that I've done that, the more that I'm seeing the differences and the divergence in the education systems here. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, and again, the time of recording quite recently, the Conservative Party issued some guidance, I think it was, about how teachers <laughs> should deal with controversial issues uh-huh. uh, in schools, <laughs> which which proved to be quite controversial with a whole bunch of teachers um, because it seemed to be potentially curtailing free speech um, and maybe it's having a slight degree of hypocrisy in that it's saying that you can't talk about certain things, but you can talk about the things that we allow you to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's, did I pick that up right? Or, or do you have a different perception of what that well, guidance was like? I, I tell you what, Alistair, if that's how you picked it up, that's pretty much what it is because um, it's a lot of us have, there's been a massive pushback on that, especially from higher education institutions, because um, it looks if as though it's the higher education institutions are are crying about this. You know, there's no free speech stuff like that. But actually, um, and I can, I can give a prime example from the university that I work at. So the University of Sanglia um, denied um, a certain um, professor who has been can quote unquote cancelled not because they're on a, i'm a world tour you know i'm on the cancelled world tour kind of thing going on now because they are a hugely transphobic individual and i can say that being a trans person she is a very transphobic individual um and the uea would not allow her to come on and come to campus to speak because there was an absolute uproar with the students and with members of staff uh, saying it shouldn't be welcome and then whether she should or shouldn't have been is a debate for another day i mean i'm the kind of person who likes to give someone like that a forum in, in order to in order to completely <laughs> debunk them and dispose them and and embarrass them for their views right so so that's my opinion but anyway um but of course on on this person's i've been cancelled tour it's been one of the catalysts for this thing about oh we're shutting down free speech 
But um, and then it all goes into the whole debate. And well, is if it's hate speech, it's not really free speech. And then this misconception about gender critical beliefs is a protected belief, which it's not. It's it's you have the right to hold those beliefs, but you don't have the right to act on those beliefs and be discriminatory or engage in hate. But anyway, so, yeah, it's that's where the crux of the issue is taking place. And um, and I can tell you, for a matter of fact, the good news, the good news is everybody listens to this, is that there could be legislation to say this is what the national curriculum is going to be they're not you know there is always going to be a way around it because the it's the methodology that you teach not just what you teach is important so teaching about critical thinking you know how to understand bias how to recognize your own bias how to look at your source information fake news and things like that these you cannot legislate against teaching for those kind of things. You never will be able to. Otherwise, you're now really are entering the period of George Orwell's 1984. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you you will be told what to think. That's yeah. another level. So therefore, if we continue to do those kind of things, there's always going to be a way of circumnavigating those, you know, <laughs> shutting, trying to, shutting down of certain topics, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. Well, the, the interesting counterpoint to that is, okay, so, so what does that look like in a part of the United Kingdom? of Great Britain, Northern Ireland, <laughs> that's called Northern Ireland, that has had a very, very different experience over the last 50 years, right. where yep. we live in a profoundly divided society still, uh, although things have evolved, moved forward incredibly since I was um, a young person, and my own daughters are growing up in a, a Northern Ireland that, that is radically and profoundly different. But still, we have a long, long way to go. Still, mm. the ingrained divisions that are just so deeply woven into community identities. And we're back again to social identity theory because these are the stories told by the communities that you grow up in. This is what you imbibe because of the area that you live in. Um, so the identity is deeply and richly influenced by that. So there is still division. There's still segregation, things like that. Um, so what happens if you're in a, a context like that? Um, how do you begin to break that down? Well, one, one of the first things that I would say is that in, in Northern Ireland, we have very direct legislation, which is um, supporting and encouraging and requiring teachers to be dealing with issues of social division. Um, so whereas it seems to me that um, the push in England is to move away from commenting on you know, overtly political um, issues or cautioning against it. We have this thing called shared education that goes on that um, just really encourages and actually legislates for us to to engage in that. We've also got the integrated education, which is bringing the schools together. Um, and what that requires us to do is to explicitly and directly explore political identities and ideologies with the goal of helping us to see and understand them from each other better. And also with the goal, and, and this is written into legislation, to have shared education of young people from across the divide learning together, to have 
better educational outcomes, but also explicitly to have reconciliation outcomes as well. Mm. Um, that that is actually written into the legislation that we are to attempt to try to build those bridges of understanding, which means confronting the political points of view that are going to be absolutely conflicting with each other, of getting those out into the open um, and uh, of addressing those. So it's, it's actually a catalyst, I think, for free speech and open speech. And through that program, and I think we'll probably get a chance to talk specifically about some of the particular things we've done, but even in general, um, the, the program of shared education is all about how do we, in a societies that are profoundly divided, find ways of understanding each other better. Mm. But I suppose the torch that I would invite the listener to shine into their own situation is that the divisions are obvious in Northern Ireland. They're obvious to all the sea. They're, they're written and woven into the landscapes we, we live in. If you look at the murals and the walls, they're painted in the colours yeah. of different nationalities. You look at the, um, the posters for um, politicians that are closely aligned to you know, unionist or nationalist identities. You can tell very, very easily what kind of area you're in. The division is very, very profound. But division is part of the human condition i think in many ways you know when you look at why do these conflicts emerge the conflicts emerge whenever the divisions that exist morph into discrimination and then conflict throw in a lot of geopolitics of course under the top of that and the odd sociopath (laughs) woven through history um but there is something written into the the human condition where we tend to divide and and i think then that if, if we reflect on our own context of where we're coming from you know, what are those divisions? What are the things that maybe aren't quite as obvious, but are definitely going to be there? Uh, and I suppose if, if you allow me to be proud now of the little country that I come from, Kit, and, and not quite sure. as self-conscious as I would have been in the 90s, the things that we're trying to do here in terms of building peace and reconciliation and understanding, I think are a model that uh, at least are worth looking at and reflecting on. Um, mm. Certainly the shared education model that we've pioneered here in Northern Ireland has been taken out into some former conflict zones, including the Middle East and former Yugoslavia. Uh, and I've been really blessed to be at conferences with some um, teachers from former Yugoslavia, sharing right. how they have learned from us how to build bridges in divided societies that live there. And see, whenever you, you look at those and, and okay, in the grand scheme of things, that's a tiny little thing. Okay, so some of you got into a room one day and talked about the exciting things you do, you, you've been doing and you felt slightly better about yourself, right? How does that change the world? Well, I'll tell you how it does, because the more of us that do it, and as we pass this on, as we pass the bat on, as we learn from each other, and the more of us that do it, the greater the understanding starts to build up. Um, and, you know, you, you nudge. Sometimes change happens dramatically and suddenly very often change happens quietly subtly as you nudge people forward and it's only when you look back over a period of time you realize hey we're so much further on than where we used to be yeah and this is why i've been loving doing this podcast it's because i will take a situation like that which i don't have much you know much connection to or much much any experience at all it's not part of my lived experience but i can take some of something of my lived experience and have one little piece of it to connect with what you're saying so i can 
empathize and understand where you're coming from and that is for example with my with my 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 gender identity for example and being proud and open and visible about it and you know and for some people who especially maybe transphobic individuals they they will look at that and think well you know why are you shouting being loud and proud about it and we know you've heard that so but for me you know being being very proud about my achievements and that being out invisible is shining a light for those who cannot be you know visible because it's unsafe for them to be so because they don't have much self um esteem or whatever or they don't see positive trans role models so that is part of my lived experience of being proud of who i am where i can make a little glimmer of connection with what you're talking about in shared education so i can therefore and i was i was glowing a little bit actually just listening to you what you were saying thinking yeah I, i i get that i get i get that where you that kind of soft quiet change being proud of actually what's going on, you know, blowing your trumpet a little bit, not, not in an egotistic way, but in a way it's like, if, if this is something that I've, I've been able to fight for, I can do, then yes, it's something you could do too, but without saying it in those exact words. So, I mean, I know you've been involved with this, this shared ed stuff and you've been very, very proud of the work that you've been done and you share quite a fair bit of, on, on Twitter that you do on that. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you would want to give a couple of specific examples. So please do. I think uh, a lot of us would be interested in this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, we we could do a dozen podcasts. On yeah, I know. Bit, so um, it, it's it's just fabulous. But I'm really glad to get the opportunity to um, talk a, a, about a little bit of this and the journey that we've been on. The town of Lurgan that I teach in is about fifty fifty. Well, when I say Protestant and Catholic, it isn't really a, a religious division. It's mm. more to do with nationality. So unionist, nationalist, you know, whatever term you want to use, it's more about that fundamental identity of what nationality you belong to. But uh, very often people will talk about it being Protestant and Catholic. Uh, so it's about 50-50. And there aren't that many towns in Northern Ireland that are, they tend to be predominantly one or the other. Um, and the town is incredibly divided. North Lurgan is the nationalist area. South Lurgan is the unionist area. And the school that I teach in is slap bang in the middle of North Lurgan, uh, even though the fact that it would be predominantly Protestant school, um, that harks back to the early 70s, whenever these street battles were taking place, when people were internal migration was happening in mm. uh, Northern Ireland all across the, the, the country. And that's why, again, I look at Ukraine with such empathy because, I mean, there's right. yeah. a whole different level of what's happening there. It's an outright war, but there was internal migration. Here's people fled for their lives. So our school is has ended up in the quote-unquote wrong end of the town, uh, which when I started teaching it in the 90s was interesting because as the buses came and brought the students to our, our school, they would quite regularly have been stoned by the uh, students, the other schools that were passing through. So profoundly divided, but profoundly divided in such a way as there are very, very few opportunities for the young people from the two communities to meet. Um, and it's into that context where the social identity theory comes and says, yeah, well, one, if you spend time only with people that look like you, that sound like you, that share the same views as you, you know, you're not going to have your thinking challenged and you're probably at the very least going to have stereotypes about the others. Themons are all the same. Stereotypes can lead to prejudice. Prejudice can lead to discrimination. There's there's a well trod path there, and and but for me the the cycle is broken when when in the first instance you make contact. So for us it was and you know over the years I suppose I've been looking for a way of doing this. It's the extraordinary found in the mundane, if I can put it like that. 
um, what to other people would seem like the most normal and reasonable thing that young people, teenagers from different schools meet, just wasn't happening. So the very first thing we want to do is just try and get them together and to normalize the the fact that people from that school with that uniform, them ones are walking in our corridors. So I remember one occasion right back in the early days when we did this, I, I um, teach a sixth form enrichment class in critical thinking on a Wednesday afternoon, which I love, just get to argue for an hour <laughs> with people that really push me to the limits with it. Absolutely brilliant. But that's done through shared education. And it's absolutely great context for shared education because we can talk about anything and everything. Um, and it gives an opportunity for us to kind of break down those stereotypes. Uh, so at first, when they walk in, they're wearing that uniform. There are some of them. And, and the first thing we do is get to know their names. And then we start to talk about issues. Then we start to talk about the things that the young people are interested in. And all of a sudden, what we realize, and this is this is, a, 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 I was going to say, a class, a cracker, a weaker, as we say here, <laughs> observation at first, the realization, see them and they actually don't all think the same thing. <laughs> actually, there's as much diversity of opinion with them as there is with us. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't really think that. And and that starts then to break down these differences and starts to break down the stereotypes. So one of the first days when we we took our a group of our students up to our partner school at that time, it was called St. Michael's, and they put on a lunch for us. Um, and they took us down to the canteen. And this was, you know, one of the first times that students from my school, from Lurgan College, would have been up at St. Michael's. It wasn't a normal sight. So we walked into this, the canteen. There were 200 young people from St. Michael's sitting in there. And it was seriously from a, like a scene from a spaghetti western, you know, whenever a stranger <laughs> walks into the bar. Yeah. The piano stops playing, the drinks are set down, and everybody just watches them. And I could see um, the young people in my, from my school uh, and they were like, they got on fine, but they weren't mates. Just before we went in, they literally physically started to stand closer together. Yeah, <laughs> you could see them wow. finding a sense of, all right, I, I really need to be close to you when I'm walking through here. And they had to walk all the way over to the other side to get the sandwiches and all the way. We had 200 pairs of eyes track us across, 200 pairs of eyes tracking us back. Um, and to go from that and, and, to, to try and break down the the fact that that was unusual. And I'm really glad to say that whenever we have the young people together now, you, you just don't have anything of that. So we have, we've normalized the fact they can wow. contact each other. And then what you do, you're building from that into opportunities for them to get to know each other and um, get really to understand where they're coming from. So, we looked at one occasion with that class um, at identity. So I said to them, right, how do you define yourself in terms of ethnicity, race, nationality, language, and religion? Um, because then all the stereotypes would come in. So I never forget one story or one one of the pupils from St. Michael's, when it came to his turn to share, uh, he said, I'm a Catholic. Okay. Yeah. My, my people are, yeah, you're St. Michael's, you're Catholic. Yeah. That registers. Atheist what? I can be a Catholic <laughs> and an atheist. Is that not a complete contradiction in terms? He says, I'm a Catholic atheist who's a unionist. Hold on a minute. <laughs> but Catholics can be unionists? 
who's a member of the Alliance Party, which is the middle ground party here that isn't aligned with either side. And that moment was just brilliant in terms of like the metaphorical shattering of stereotypes left, right and center. When all of a sudden we were getting to realize, yeah, you are a richly, deeply nuanced individual human being. Yes, you may be part of this group, but you're an individual within that group. And, uh, I need to remember that. I need to remember that. And see, whenever you you kind of combine what I'm, I was talking about earlier with the, um, you know, the theoretical understanding with the empathy, plus, plus right at the heart of that, the experience of working together. That's whenever you start to really see the profound things happening. So from there, I mean, we've done all sorts of crazy things. We uh, got together with the police service of Northern Ireland and brought a whole bunch of the students right through the centre of the town to re-record a whole variety of Christmas songs and put a video <laughs> out of those. And uh, I mean, one of those got like nearly a quarter of a million views on social media. And again, wow. what I loved about that was the fact that people from all over Lurgan, all over the world, were seeing these young people wearing different uniforms, supposedly from the other community, just being together and getting on and being this wonderful model for for reconciliation. Um, so all sorts of things like this. Of course, you, you'll know that we, I suppose I better mention GIS here, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? <laughs> so. But the GIS project where we um, use GIS to explore people's perceptions of the town. So we went on a tour around Lurton, some of the the common areas, the shopping areas. We went, we went into the police barracks, right? Well, if you've Google lurgan police station if you want and see what this looks like this is a fortified Ooh. heavily uh, protected area um that looks much much more like an army base in a war zone um and we took them inside there and for for most of those young people that was the first time they'd actually been inside the police barracks and the police for certain members of the community would you know maybe wouldn't feel that they would represent them that much and, and just to break down those barriers took some of the young people into the, the local chapel um, and they'd never been in there before into the different areas and um, right beside the murals up on the wall and we, we used GIS to record at that time how they were perceiving and feeling about this so the GIS software allowed them to do basically it was a Likert scale and how you're feeling it geotagged it and uh, we did a tour in the morning came back in and looked, gone into the computers in my school in the afternoon and see those moments it was amazing just to see them go onto the map and click on the little dots to find out what people said. It was all anonymous, but they were clicking on there. And the first thing they were doing was going into their own areas to find out what the people from the other school felt. And you could just feel and sense and hear the conversations going on of understanding a little bit more. They Oh, they feel that way. And, and it's just a really, really profound experience all around. And then, the company that we work with, Esri, um, uh, we're really quite excited about this wonderful story. I guess excited their software was being used in that way and uh, invited yeah. us out to San Diego in July of 2019 they, to present at the biggest EIS conference in the world um, in front of 19,000 people. Uh, yes. We brought three students across from the three schools. Um, the first schools from outside US to have had the privilege of doing that. And to stand on that stage and to hear those remarkable young people 
tell their individual stories and to break down all of those preconceptions, all of those prejudices, and at the heart of it to demonstrate profound and true and authentic friendship that emerged yeah. from it. Um, I was waiting for my turn to go on a day and I had to follow them. <laughs> <laughs> um, watching um, in the monitor back, just welling up, um, thinking, my goodness, what, what a story of hope to be able to share from a place whose reputation had been so dark and so negative. Mm. Um, yeah, we have a long, long way to go here. Yeah, there may well be some who listen to this accent who remember it from days of yore and have all sorts of connotations. But I can tell you the sure. stuff that's happening in my wee land at the moment, yeah, it's pretty special. And we need that, yeah, that hope, That that's those personal stories of hope as well. And it's, and you, you put on the, um, the other thing that you also put on the, on the Google form for the podcast was, was, um, you have a love of the synoptic inquisitive problem solving nature of the way geographers think. And what, what a great example of, of, of that, you know, and, and GIS geographic information systems, you know, it's what, an, I mean, <laughs> Well, I mean, I wish we had more time to talk about SS, so I have to just have to simply get you on again for another time. But um, the what you do with GIS is fantastic. But but for the vast majority of educators out there, you know, to have such an enriching story, a very personal story being mapped in such a way mm. to tell, you know, uh, and all that backstory to go with it, it just goes to show the power of geography, the power of of data of mapping to do that kind of thing and yep. i would strongly recommend yep. people go and listen to we've we've actually had quite a, f- a fair bit of mapping and gis in this season of coffee and geography uh-huh. so people should uh-huh. definitely go and you know listen to james cheshire we talked about atlas the invisible and the power of maps talk uh, listen to the first episode of the season with lauren sinclair and yeah. uh syria with regards yeah, to um to give a shout out map. to lauren give a yeah shout we know that hey, lauren. yeah <laughs> yeah we know that you and lauren have collaborated a little bit so uh that's a nice little connection there and it's just but seriously everybody and then helen illis who uses that you know a visual artist kind of way with with, with mapping so yeah uh, if you thread these just these four episodes together folks you realize how powerful this can be and it can be quite life-changing and it can be quite well changing as well so mm. yeah and we could we could go on that a bit more so that's something and folks i will make sure that alistair and i uh get the stuff in the in the description of this podcast episode because there is so much you can dig into and have a look at and and fill your boots with that um i do want to do one thing uh alistair come back to you personally now uh before we finish off and that is uh, spilling the beans because um for all this amazing stuff that you're doing as an educator and this, this change that you're helping to inspire and to drive. There's one thing that people don't know about you, and that is that you actually had a short-lived career as an international rock star in a I did. In your former life in the 1990s. I did. I did. Um, so, <laughs> so come on in. So let's, let's uh, how can we search up and see that mullet of yours and things like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the mullet, uh, well, the mullet had gone by the 90s, at least by the mid-90s, whenever I started this career as a teacher where I had to, <laughs> but yes, and no, loud and proud. I I uh, had a mullet, late eighties, early nineties. 
Um, yeah, so yeah, it's, I think that those those were the days when I look back on that now. I love the fashion from those days, garish <laughs> and horrible, and completely over the top. But oh my goodness, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So the musical career, you yeah, have ten years actually. I was in a rock band ten years through my twenties. Wow. So yeah, it was was fun times. So um, I don't know. Is any of it on? I must see if I can put something on YouTube to see if we can. But I, I was keyboard and guitarist in a band called Scuzzy. So 1990s, um, I guess probably a combination of Texas and Garbage, if anybody remembers Garbage from the 1990s. Uh, so kind of electro rock kind of thing uh, with a fabulous lead singer called Sharon McPeters. But yeah, I, <laughs> I got we got to do a little bit of touring, okay? So bear in mind, we were in Northern Ireland at the time. So occasionally we'd come over and play a few festivals in, in England, things like that. Um, I did get a trip to California out of that one as well. I was invited oh, wow. over to play keyboards and, and the album of the person that came over and produced one of our albums, who was from California. But my favorite story is that we got to play a gig in the music capital of Europe, none other than Liechtenstein. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we flew over uh, one Saturday morning to play a gig in Liechtenstein with this German punk rock band called Die Papste. Uh, <laughs> and on <laughs> we came, randomly did this gig in Liechtenstein, stayed the night and flew home the next day. So I, I, that's probably my most rock and roll story, you know, that I, we were Flew out for one night in Liechtenstein to play a gig. So they, yeah, but I mean, fun, fun times. I music has been um, a massive big part of my life, and um, actually, we use it quite a bit in school as well. One of the things that we did during lockdown, which was fabulous, we we did a wee virtual choir with the staff at the end of the first year. So I just try and persuade them all to join in <laughs> and record themselves on their phones. And I said, right, I'll do the backing track. I promise it'll sound good. I promise it will. You record yourself singing along to it, but I just promise me one thing. When you finish recording it, don't listen back, right? Don't listen back. Now, having said that, I know the first thing you will do is listen back. So when yes. you ignore me and listen back and think, oh, no, I can't send that in, please send it in. I'll look after you. Uh, and we we did, and it went down really well with the pupils. So one of the things I, I loved doing this, Kit, and, and we can link this as well afterwards, Um last june whenever we started to come back again and you know get past maybe that maybe a sense at that stage that a degree of normality was coming back i I thought right i want us to try and do something with the pupils to go way beyond the functionality of the learning all of the extracurricular stuff that had been missing over the past couple of years things that the kids would get involved in that are the things that really allowed them to make memories from their school days um, when everything became really functional, I said, right, what we're going to do, I'm going to write a song about our experiences of COVID and we're going to record it together. <laughs> and uh, I realized that I promised that I was going to do that before I'd even written the song. <laughs> and we had about two weeks to do it. Um, but there's nothing like a deadline that makes you do it. So I uh, yep. got the chorus written and what we, we, we weren't allowed to sing with them inside at that stage because of the regulations. So we had to get them out onto the front lawn of the school. I got my podcaster mic. It just sat on a desk in the front <laughs> lawn. 
and I got a bunch of the students. I managed to persuade them and say, look, look get involved. And they don't get involved. You will <laughs> never regret. You'll never regret doing this. So I managed to persuade enough of them and a few more members of staff as well. And we recorded the chorus and got it all. It sounded really good. And for, for the recording outside, and then I thought, oh, beer, better write some verses for this. So we put it all <laughs> together and, and got some of the, the students to uh, record it and then persuaded some of my then, now we call them year 11 students, so that's year 10 for you, first year of GCSE, mm-hmm. to um, step up and be my actors <laughs> in this. <laughs> and again, they were a bit nervous, some of them, but we fair play to them, they stepped up. And, and we created this lovely little memento of this experience that we've been through. And it's something that I love. And I suppose this is links back to what we said before. Uh, I'm not, I've never been into sports big time that my exercise is mostly hiking up mountains and things like that but music has been a big big part of my life and you do your best music when you collaborate with other people you know Mm. musicians play with other musicians singers singing with other singers and there's just something about that coming together that the the what you produce is far more than you could have done by yourself Uh, and i just love that you know the everything that represented about our school community and our school family. Um, no. Now, the lyrics are incredibly cheesy. <laughs> so I'm not going <laughs> to win any BAFTAs, but they are cheesy. <laughs> they they wow. encapsulate what we did. So it's just, I love that with music. It's just that that way again of making those connections. Yeah. Uh, you got to have a bit of cheese every now and then as well. Mm. You know, <laughs> and life's, life's, not, life's nothing without a bit of cheese. Wow. Well, that is a, a, a lovely, lovely thing to end on there. So final bit then, Alistair, um, we are all geographers. Let's get you linked to our previous uh, guests then. Okay. So no, this our... is the bit that I'm most nervous about. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fine. So my previous guest was um, absolute delightful chat. I was catching up with uh, uh, talking to an ex-student of mine, you know, someone who I okay. taught GCC geography, um, Karis Marianne, who's uh now doing, oh, every time I say stuff like this, I feel like another 10 years older. She's now doing a PhD in biological sciences. So it's just like, <laughs> just, why do my ex-students doing PhDs and stuff like that and having children? Anyway, so um, she was, um, the episode before that by uh, Lynn Ho was given the word hay. So hay bale, hay stack, all that kind of stuff, which Karis linked to. So Instead of going back to maybe being so a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more out there, we're kind of sticking with something perhaps a little bit more tangible. So Karis has actually given you the word card. So the material or, you know, the green, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Oh, dear, dear, dear. I'd far rather have a less tangible one that's easier. You probably would have liked to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. card, okay. Let me see if I can get something a little bit more obtuse on this. Um, <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I feel I feel like I should potentially lean into my Northern Irish accent here because do you know how <laughs> the word card for us, you, you would spell C-O-W-A-R-D. So you right. would say it as... Oh, coward. Yeah. Right. yeah. For, yes. for us in Northern Ireland, whenever we uh, uh, brush our hair in the mirror after having a power shower for half an hour, uh, well, the word card is C-O-W-A-R-D, so I could do oh. something about that. <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll, we'll stick to the C-A-R-D, shall we? Yes, that is the word we've been given. 
Okay, so let's go for it. So whenever okay. you're ready, we'll start the 30 seconds. Okay, right. Well, uh, genuinely, we'll, we'll cut this out here, so let me have a wee bit of <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. After Don't worry, that's happened before. It's <laughs> happened before. <laughs> after saying all those lovely, profound things, I've drawn a complete another metal blank. Um, it's a card. It's you would prefer to have had anti-disestablishmentarianism, wouldn't you? Oh, uh, absolutely brilliant, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> that would have sued you. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, Asa, whenever you're ready, just make a start. Okay, so cards are all about things. <laughs> no, we are going to be cheesy here again. Cards yep. are all about the things that we send. To do what, Kit? To make connections. To reach oh, out to those people that we love or perhaps the people that we thought that we didn't love. And they represent <laughs> opportunities for us to make connections there, to express sentiments and ideas that maybe needn't aren't always expressed that should be expressed so let's take the opportunities let's share the cards let's share the love yeah i do i do perfectly <laughs> well done you weave that into a discussion <laughs> so everything everything connections <laughs> cheese yeah you did it well i think it's what good. i've managed to do there is to completely lower everybody's expectations <laughs> for the quality of the lyrics in the song that i wrote they're no better than that <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I'm very much reevaluate. I mean, I was going to have a, a regular thing, whereas the end of each season, I was going to thread all the words into a piece of poetry or something. <laughs> but uh, I'm just being completely thrown off <laughs> this time around, and I might have to rethink my strategy. But uh, but you now have get to have. Um, I wouldn't say your revenge because you can't go back. It doesn't go backwards, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, you do get to come up with a word for our our following guest for next week. Okay, um, so card. <laughs> C O W A R D. No, no, no. <laughs> that could work. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I did think about this in advance about what I, I wanted to share, and I suppose one of the things that I'd hoped to be able to tell the story today, and, and I, I really thank you for the opportunity to do that, is the the importance, the central importance of that understanding of different from people from different places, the central importance of empathy. empathy. So empathy yeah. as a geographical concept is what I would love to hear the next game. Go on. And in two weeks' time, everybody, so please make sure you do listen up. I'm giving it a bit of an advanced plug, is that there's going to be a special episode. That's if I get this out. I might end up cutting this out. But uh, it's going to be a special episode on location at the Geographical Association Conference, and it's going to be the quickest turnaround from recording <laughs> to publishing ever because I want it to be as, as you know, as quote unquote near real time as possible. So, um, and that's going to be really, really interesting. So, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing so many people at that conference. So, it's gonna, yes, exactly. It's going to be so amazing, which is perfect with segue because you got any shout outs? Anybody you're looking forward to seeing or anything? Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I've just spent, um, before COVID, I spent a lot of time looking at what was happening in England, feeling like I was, if I may quote a famous book, A Prisoner of Geography, this little thing called the mm. RSC, um, that just makes traveling over that bit more difficult and more challenging and yeah. then we went into lockdown and nobody could meet and everybody met virtually and all of a sudden I wasn't a prisoner of geography anymore <laughs> and I can genuinely and honestly say I, I think actually I was mentioning my own photography podcast one of the reasons why that only went to episode number two is because of all of you annoying geography teachers in England who were just <laughs> really nice and friendly and interesting and I just found this initially it was a network 
Mm. Then it became colleagues, and then quite genuine, genuinely kept um, friendships that have, have evolved from that. People that I have connected with that are have lots of diversity and lots of difference, but we share some of those really core values. Yeah. So is there anybody I'm looking forward to meet? I couldn't possibly pick. Like I said to my daughters, um, I don't have any favorites. <laughs> uh, I couldn't possibly pick one. I am genuinely just looking forward to meeting face-to-face yeah. the friends that I've made virtually over the past two years. Yeah, and no, and I know you well enough to know that that is a very sincere, genuine feeling that you have. You know, um, you're, you're not just being being political there with your response. <laughs> so no, and it, it's gonna, and it, I feel exactly the same way. Um, and I really do feel that another you know, circling back almost to the beginning of 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 our this, of our chat. You know, one of the silver lines that has come out of of, of, of this pandemic is this ability to, to connect with each other. Yeah. You know, through through social media and through Zoom and stuff like that and other of a connection um programs are available um you know so it's yeah and and i really feel a lot closer to the geography teacher community than i did before yeah. because yeah. i was a lot siloed into my own backyard with my own work you know and i would meet f- fellow teachers from the norfolk network on a regular basis but but I never really expanded outside of that so so i'm really and so this is going to be the it's going to be so so good i'm so so looking forward to to next yeah, month and, yeah. and it's going to be absolutely amazing um so with regards to connections and connecting then so you do have a um a social social media account and you have um your photography and stuff like that so where can people find all of that how can they find you on social media etc Yes. So um, and my education account is at LC Geography, LC Geography there. So yes, that's where all the educational stuff happens. If you'd rather just look at beautiful pictures of the nicest county in the world, <laughs> um, then you can search the handle is at A Hamill Photos. If you search for Alistair Hamill, um, it doesn't matter if you misspell my name, or at least it doesn't matter to Google. It matters to me, but it doesn't matter to Google. Um, Google will find me however you spell my name, which when you think about it is somewhat scary. But anyway, search for <laughs> yes. that and uh, you'll find me, Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, also things like that. Absolutely wonderful. Well, Alistair, um, another one of those occasions. We, we've, we've podcasted before on Andy's podcast and chatted before and like, and, and you always joke and, and say about, oh, Kit, you want to get you finished by a certain time, you know, to uh, get yourself to bed. We've gone way past my bedtime and I could never be happier. <laughs> so... Uh, um, it's always a wonderful pleasure to speak to you, my friend. And uh, I am so, so looking forward to seeing you. Um, well, when this podcast gets released on the 2nd of April, it'll only be a few days because the conference right. is the 11th to the 13th. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, it's looking forward to it. But thank you so much for giving up your time. You're always very gracious with it. And um, I will see you soon. An absolute pleasure, Kit. I've thoroughly enjoyed the chat as always. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.